Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Broken Art Podcast. After a little break that we had there, my name is Adam, your co-host. And my name is Callie Medley, your other co-host. The Broken Art Podcast is where we talk about all things music, theater, the performing arts, and all with our amateur expertise. Callie, we look good. We are not looking amateur today. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> it's the Tonys. It's the Tonys. Well, not oh really. It's kind. almost kind of almost the Tonys, but not really the Tonys and kind of weird circumstances. We think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we should talk about that, shouldn't we? Just say, hey, we've been gone for a while. Yeah, we have been gone for a while. So it's been a great November has been kind of crazy for the both of us. Yeah, yeah. Um, Why don't you start on your end? What's been keeping, what's what's, uh, been the brick wall preventing us from making a podcast episode? I mean, it's been a lot of, I mean, our, our schedule is just with school and everything and, and all that November. stuff. That's been hard. November, it was just a kind of the perfect storm for me. And I didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming because it's one of those things where you make plans and stuff like months and months in advance. And you're always like, I ain't got time. No big worry. No big deal. Um, so for those of you who don't know, um, so last semester of college here, I have a teaching job all lined up. I'm super excited for that. Um, but that requires me to move in the middle of the year. Um, or I guess the end, middle of the school year, actually, because I think in that way. So I get done with school in December and I start a job in January. And between then, I had to, between November and January, I had to pass another teaching exam, which I did, which I got so stressed about. Um, Election week happened. Um, I had to make it through that. Oh my gosh. We can talk about that another time. Um, And then also realizing that I'm also getting a job out of state. So not only do I have to um, get my in-state license, but to expedite expedite this different state's license, yeah. I need to get this state license. So I need to like apply for them simultaneously, oh, but yeah. I can't one without getting the other licensure approved. I can't finish that licensure until I actually finish my school. And I can't get all of that finished until I send all of these transcripts in. And it's yeah. just... It's literally such a hot, you're always kind of like playing catch up. Um, and then the other thing is like, okay, needing to find an apartment in that new town slash needing someone to take over my lease um, in uh, Duluth right now. So it November was just a perfect storm. Yeah. Um, that leasing stuff is still up there. It's more rounded right now. Yeah. But the, the first half of this month was just, insane and it's thanksgiving next all week. of the biggest stressors just combined in one like in in the span of like two and a half weeks for you i'm just oh, it's too much it's too much and get you a friend like callie medley who is so supportive 
and understanding um and just really really nice when it comes to being like hey i can't tonight sorry no i mean ditto i i i appreciate our collaboration and i think you know it's we get busy and that's we expected this to happen with this podcast and, and you know unfortunately we're not at a point in our lives where we can do this sort of thing as our full-time job as much as we'd yeah. like to oh my um, gosh wouldn't that be so much fun that'd be so much fun oh my i would love my life i would love yeah. to do this podcast full-time but in the meantime we are going to have some some holes in the scheduling so forgive us but we are here to talk today about the Tony Awards. So let's- Tony, 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 Tony. So here's the context. If everyone is listening to this, if we, by like episode 200, become this big hit in People Magazine, say you have to listen to this podcast, and you're listening to all these episodes, which we're almost to our 20th episode. Yeah. Um, you may be listening to this being like, what are they talking about? Well, it's the year 2020. Um, we are in this thing called the COVID-19 right now. Mm -hmm. We're all in quarantine and thus everything is shut down, including the theater. And probably the biggest night of um, theater, the Tony Awards has been canceled indefinitely. Um, and it, there's been a lot of things up in the air about that this entire year, but a few weeks ago, actually, they finally released the Tony nominations. Yes, and it was, there were certain rules where only a certain amount of shows were eligible for the Tony Awards, and so it's pretty limited this year, um, including some surprises that we'll, we'll get to. Uh, However, I mean, I think I can speak for all of the us like theater kids and, and musical theater nerds that I mean, we're just kind of grateful that there's something and, and everyone's kind of like, like, we know it's not going to be spectacular or like they're going to we're like all rooting for each other, I think. And, and I think, you know, it feels weird to to be talking about this and to, uh, especially for the nominees themselves, to be kind of, no one wants to gloat, no one wants to like have their privilege when everything else is kind of going bad for so many people. But on another note, I think that this is what the world needs as well. You know, we need that escape. And so uh, we're just happy that it's happening and here we go. We don't really know what it's gonna be. <laughs> Yeah, we, we don't know. Um, they've been kind of hinting at dates for the longest time. There's been a lot of ambiguity there, but we think it's going to be happening in a couple weeks, right? We think it's going to be happening sometime in December. Mm -hmm. So how we're going to do this, <laughs> there's a lot to talk about, right? There's a lot to talk about. Um, and especially for a lot of our listeners who maybe don't live in the city or uh, don't really know a lot of the information about the show. I know, Adam, you're in Minnesota. And so you don't. Yeah. <laughs> with, with doing this research, I was like, I'm going to just write down the bare essentials because, you know, honestly, for someone who would be listening to the podcast, the things that I wrote down would be the information that I would want to know. And then feel free to do more research. 
Yeah, so we're going to go category by category, and we're going to start on the technical aspects, starting with best sound design. Adam will cover the plays, I'll cover the musicals, and we'll just go through the categories like that um, and give some information about the nominees and also the shows. And then we're going to give our very unqualified predictions. And honestly, some of these predictions might be based off of, hey, I like that person's name, so I'm gonna choose that. And uh, a fun follow-up for this episode, you could make our nomination, you can make our picks a drinking game. (laughs) When the actual show comes out, every nomination that we get wrong, throw them back, it'll be fun. I will be drinking water. Um, the Quarantonis are here and we just have to celebrate them for all that they are. The Quarantonis, I love Quarantonis. that. Is that trademark? Can we steal that? Uh, I just made it up now. So I'm going to oh. trademark it right now. Yay, that's really good. <laughs> title, episode title? Episode title? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. All right, Quarantonis part one technical aspects. Here are your nominees for Best Sound of the Play. Paul Arditi and Christopher Reed for The Inheritance. Simon Baker for A Christmas Carol. We have to make these as, as you know, yeah, realistic. As authentic as possible. as possible. We want to put you, the, the listener, in the room. And so... Um, Imagine Billy Porter is in the front row and he's ready to sing <laughs> Rose's turn. Um. <laughs> We're also getting to live out our little dreams of of being the nominee announcers. <laughs> oh my gosh. I wouldn't even want to be like a nominee. I want to be an announcer. Right. I've been working on this voice for the past three hours. Adele Dazim. <laughs> The wickedly talented. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Lindsay Jones for A Slave Play. And Daniel Kluger for Seawall Alive and The Sound Inside. <laughs> All right, let's jump into these folks real quick. So for The Inheritance, for Best Sound Design, we have Paul Arditi and Christopher Reed. So the inheritance. Eric and Toby are in love in Manhattan. They respectively meet an older man who is haunted by his past and a younger man who is striving for his future. The show asks the questions of what do we owe to the older generations and what is our obligation to the younger generations. Uh, Paul Arditi is a British sound designer. He's won a Tony, an Olivier, a Drama Desk, and a BroadwayWorlds.com Fans Choice Award. He has a long list of productions, but notable American productions include Mary Stewart, Billy Elliot, Billy Bellabit, oh my goodness, Billy Elliot, and Les Maisons Dangereuses. French, I think that'll work. <laughs> um, other notable productions include St. Joan, Festin, The Pillow Man, Chris Fallen, Far Away, The Chairs, and Four Baboons Adoring the Sun. Chris Reed um, is an award-winning sound designer based in the UK. 
He works primarily within the theater industry, both in the UK and internationally. Um, he began his career working with a sound hire company in Scotland at the age of 16. Then Chris relocated to London after university. Since then, he has spent the last decade working on a variety of different productions in the West End and around the world. Next, we have a Christmas Carol, Simon Baker. Um, Christmas Carol, classic story. Um, an old banker named Evan, he's a Scrooge is selfish, greedy, and unkind until he meets the ghosts of a former business partner and the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. These visions show us what made Scrooge his grumpy old self and how his actions affect his employees and what the current trajectory of his life will or might lead to in his future. Um, Simon Baker, um, notable Broadway productions includes a girl uh, from the North Company, Groundhog Day, Matilda, Brief Encounter, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and the play What I Wrote. Or excuse me, what was it called? Uh, the play What I Wrote, yes. Uh, Lindsay Jones for A Slave Play. Back, uh, we go back in time to the Dixieland South, which is rampant with slavery in the McGregor Plantation. And we are asked to consider the concepts of race, gender and sexuality. Uh, this follows three interracial couples being subject to antebellum sexual performance therapy as the black partners um, do not feel any conjugal attraction to their white partners. So Lindsay Jones has seven Joseph Jefferson Awards with 23 nominations. LA Drama Critics Award, three nominations for the Drum Desk Awards and many, many other accolades. Daniel Kluger, um, he was nominated for both A Seawall, A Life and The Sound Inside. So for Seawall, A Life, um, Alex is a photographer on vacation with his family in France. Uh, he meets Abe who is a music producer and is expecting a child. Um, the play is linked by monologues where the men share their lives and their personal tragedies in reflection about being fathers, sons, and husbands. Um, the Sound Inside is a story uh, about a reclusive Ivy League professor named Bella who is confronted by a challenge and finds help in Christopher, a mysterious student. So Danny Kluger is a composer and arranger. We've got Tony and Grammy nominations and a Drama Desk and Out Critics Award. Um, my favorite thing about Danny Kluger is that he is the arranger and orchestrator for the Oklahoma Revival. So those are sound What a design. revival that was. What a revival. What a revival. Fun fact, that was the second play, uh, second musical that I was on a production team for was Oklahoma. And I think, what was it, two, three years later? Yeah, three, three years later, that's when the revival came out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had that Hugh Jackman soundtrack, so, ah, what a beautiful morning, <laughs> stuck in my head. And then I heard this, and I was like, oh my gosh, it's so good, so great. So, yeah, what do you think? What do I think? Well, um, I unfortunately, even though I live in the city, I did not get to see a lot of theater. I, I did see um, some musicals, but I, I have not seen any of the plays. I've heard a lot of 
amazing things about slave play most mm. definitely um uh the sound inside as well and the inheritance as well mm. um seawall life so sound design i think we were talking about this a little earlier it's kind of hard to do especially if you haven't seen the show because sound design mm. is a lot of the environment stuff a lot of um the the uh sound effects and the mixing and mm -hmm. how the environment feels when you're in the theater um so not being there it's kind of a a, a tough call i yeah. do know that slave play is is it, it's racked up quite the nominations this season yeah um, mm -hmm. even being the circumstances it it's currently nominated for 12 tony awards yeah it is so I, I think I'm just gonna play it safe and go with slave play. You go with slave play. I, you know, okay. So I'm split two ways. So Lindsay Jones, um, just a lot of awards, a lot of awards. Um, Joseph Jefferson Awards got 23 nominations for that. So it must be doing something right, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm also so biased against the revival of Oklahoma. Dana Kluger um, and the fact that he's been nominated for two I think also kind of goes to prove how much of a heavy hitter um, to be adversely against you and everything that you do Callie I'm going to go for Daniel Kluger on this <gasps> watch us both be wrong and then you'll have to take <laughs> two shots if both of us get it wrong you have to take two shots <laughs> we're cutting that because some of my students listen to this Please drink responsibly. We can we can open it with this. Please drink responsibly. If you're underage, do not drink. So the funny thing about this, uh, about the musical side, there's only three musicals that are eligible for nominations. Yeah, your job was easy this time around. I have to go through like 50 shows. <laughs> there were a lot of plays. Um, 10 new plays that opened this season. Technically four musicals and four revivals. Um, but there were only 18 productions that were eligible for the Tonys on both Right. And so um, and so there's only three musicals that are that are eligible. And they are Moulin Rouge, uh, Tina, the Tina Turner musical, <laughs> and Jagged Little Pill from Alanis Morissette's music. Hmm. And so those are the only three that I'm gonna end up talking about for all the categories um, so you're gonna hear my voice a lot in this episode <laughs> so i'm just gonna um do i'm just gonna do a quick rundown of all the shows if you didn't know what they were already starting off with jagged little pill uh jagged little pill is based on the music of alanis morissette um and that the the album titled jagged little pill um the book was written by Diablo Cody, who has also written Juno, the movie, mm. um, and it played at the Broadhurst Theater. Uh, Mary Jane Healy is a high-achieving homemaker who will do anything for her family. Frankie, their African-American adopted daughter, is struggling to find her place in the Lily White Society. When the Healy's lives begin to unravel, Mary Jane's drive to keep her family together threatens to break them apart. Uh, so this show has been uh, really 
really powerful. It covers a lot, a lot of societal issues, dealing with sexual harassment, um, dealing with uh, the Me Too movement, dealing with racism and uh, homophobia, transphobia, all like they cover so many topics in this show. Um, and, and at very high, loud volumes. This was one of the shows that I actually got to see and I got to witness. And, and it was so powerful and unforgiving and diverse and like a story that felt like I was sitting in the theater and I looked up at the stage and I said, this is what my theater community looks like. All different shapes, all different sizes, all different gender identities, you know, all different. Um, and, and they had in their playbill, I thought this was really interesting. People were starting to do this for shows. They had under their names, their gender identity, what, you know, he, hers, oh, I love that. he theirs. Yeah. So it, it was just a very activist, a very, um, you know, forward reaching show. And, and it was quite beautifully done. Um, so Moulin Rouge, uh, based on the original book by Baz Luhrmann and, and the movie, the famous movie that we all know, uh, that was playing at the Al Hirschfeld Theater. The revolutionary film comes to life on stage, remixed in a new musical mashup extravaganza, theatrical celebration of truth, beauty, freedom, and love. And they took this show and... The original production is known for putting the pop songs of that era in, right? Mm -hmm. And they incorporated those, but they also added a lot of new music. I think uh, Alex Timbers said that there was like 78 or so licensed songs that were just shoved into the show. Um, I'll get into it a little bit later, but very, uh, again, very loud and this was the musical of the season that you would go for escape you would walk into the theater and the theater was covered I mean outside of the stage you know along the walls and they changed the carpets and this was the show that you just got entertainment pure entertainment mm -hmm. um so very very uh, uh vaudeville-esque you know like that yeah and lastly, the last musical is Tina, the Tina Turner musical. Uh, so based on the life of Tina Turner, uh, written by Katori Hall, Frank Catellar, and Keys Prinz, uh, playing at the Lunt Fontaine Theater. The true life of Tina Turner told her way. Went from a little girl from a small town, Tennessee, to a legend all while defying the world's notion of race, age, and gender. So this was based on an absolute legend. And the yeah. show was, this was an, the other one that I got to see this season. Um, mm. the energetic, explosive, true, um, you know, it, it, Tina Turner was a legend and the way that they pulled it off and, the costumes and the story and, and the inside look of what that relationship with Ike was and breaking mm -hmm. free from that and just her empowerment and, and her ability to overcome all of the barriers her whole life at any age. I mean, she's still going. 
She's so yeah, dumb. She <laughs> so those were all the shows that were nominees this season. Uh, it feels a little short, but hey, we're working with what we got based on the yeah. rules. I guess it was that was how they needed to do it. So. Um, so now I'm going to go into my category. So Adam did best sound design of a play. I'll start with best sound design of a musical. For Jagged Little Pill, Jonathan Deans was nominated. Jonathan Deans is an English sound designer. He has done Waitress, Kiss Me Kate, Finding Neverland, amongst others. He's very um, used in, in, in the Broadway world and Broadway shows. Moulin Rouge, Peter Hylinski is nominated for Best Sound Design. This was a challenge. Like I said, 70 plus licensed pop songs were, oh were put into this show. And so you had things like, um, you know, where you had to somehow move the show along theatrically, but also put in the pop songs and not make it feel like it's out of touch right and so he really focused on it being a journey for the audience member and it being like a cinematic experience because it's, it's a it's a big challenge that that you know trying to do that mm -hmm. so oh my that, gosh i can't even uh that sounds like any like sound designer's nightmare you know yeah yeah and so for um the tina turner musical nevin steinberg he has done productions such as Dear Evan Hansen, Bandstand, Hamilton, Town, which he won a Tony Award for. Mm -hmm. um, he is an audio technician at the American Repertory Theater or ART, and that is housed at Harvard. There's a lot of people that I was uh, researching who are based out of Harvard and based out of this program. So it's very interesting. From the acting awards, there is a quite a few people coming from Yale. So we have a bunch of Ivy League folks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Them. And little fun fact about Nevin Steinberg. I always find this interesting. He went to Harvard. He got a degree in English. And oh. so, so did a lot of these uh, technical Broadway producer so it just goes to show you like it doesn't matter what you go to you know what you go to school for you can still if you love it if you love theater you can still do it you can still do it you can do whatever the heck you want as long as it makes you happy right right I I think just for the sheer immensity of it I'm gonna have to go with Will and Rouge I just that just seems crazy and I think I'm gonna save my vote for sound and Moulin Rouge to things like the score and the orchestration, because mm -hmm. I think when you're dealing with sound design, you're also dealing with mixing and yeah. you know, a lot of that stuff. And when I saw Tina, you know, it's like rock concert after rock concert. And so like yeah. to have that and to be mixing all of those elements. Um, I think I'm going to go with Tina for this one. Oh, we're so diametrically opposed. Oh, all right. So the next category is going to be best lighting design. Here are the nominees for best lighting design in a play. Ji-Yoon Chang for Slave Play. John Clark for The Inheritance. Heather Gilbert for the Sound Inside. Alan Lee Hughes for A Soldier's Play. 
and Hugh Vanstone for A Christmas Story. <laughs> All right, so we've already talked about Slave Play. So Jiun Chang, along with his 2020 Tony Award nomination, um, this one for Slave Play, he uh, has a Drama Desk nomination, um, some Henry Award stuff, Bay Area Theater Awards nominations as well. Um, other shows include You Lost Me, And You Get Your Gun, Midsummer Night's Dream, and Our Town. John Clark for Inheritance, um, Olivier Award for Best Lighting, and an Australian Green Room Award for Kroll Roger. Um, he has done lighting for The Met, Lincoln Center, Sydney Opera House, oh my gosh, the big hitters. Uh, productions include Evita, The Jungle, Turn of the Screw, and The Winter's Tale. Heather Gilbert for The Sound Inside. Um, other designing credits include Ms. Black for President, Dance Nation, The Niceties, How to Defend Yourself, The Corpse Washer, and We've Come to Believe. So, a soldier's play. In 1944, a black soldier is murdered and an investigator has to fight an uphill battle against his white superior officers. Um, and Allie Hughes was um, nominated for this for lighting design. Mr. Hughes has designed 11 shows for Broadway, including Clyburn Park, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and the original production of Once on This Island. Um, he has been nominated for three Tony Awards um, and has two wins and eight nominations for the Helen Hayes Awards. And he also has a nomination for a Drama Desk Award. Then finally, we have Hugh Vanstone for A Christmas Story. Um, has done over 160 productions, just a lot. Um, he has a Tony and three nominations, um, including um, Matilda, three Olivier Awards. Um, he has also Lighted Follies, Hamlet, Shrek, Ghost, and Groundhog Day. So those are your play uh, best lighting designers. Thoughts? Thoughts? Oh my gosh. So it's kind of like sensory overload almost when you kind of read all of these great production designers, you know, CVs and their production history. Mm -hmm. um, John Clark for Inheritance. I, I love the fact that he's spanned so many different venues and that he does go in the opera world, which means I'm very like, I'm very biased against that, obviously. Um, Hugh Vanstone, 160. That's a lot. And I, I don't remember how old exactly Mr. Vanstone is, but 160 productions is a lot, just so he has, probably has a lot of experience under his belt. So I think I'm going to have to go um, for John Clark for the inheritance. I thought you were going to say Hugh Vanstone, and I think I that's know, what I'm going to pick twin. for my nomination. Ooh. Oh my gosh. Still diametrically opposed. I love it. I'm glad I we don't it. agree. I'm glad we don't agree. Yeah. Um, it would be boring. It would be a boring Tony Awards episode. All right. So best lighting design. Oh. I have to do my announcer voice. I don't think of I course. did that for the first one. Okay. Here are the nominees for Best Lighting Design of a Musical. Justin Townsend, Jagged Little Pill. Justin Townsend, Moulin Rouge. 
And Justin Townsend. And I'm just kidding. It's not Justin. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, what is the sweep? The full house. And the last nominee for best lighting design of a musical is Bruno Poet, Tina, the Tina Turner musical. And you know, I just have to say it was so much fun going through all of these nominees and especially mm-hmm. the technical aspects um, and going to their, their websites and like checking them out and checking out who they are as people and just kind of like what their vibe is and what they're all about. So I, I just, I love it. Let's talk about the double whammy here, Justin Townsend, who has a 66% chance of getting a Tony. Oh, so you're saying there's a chance. um in 2016 he was a tony nominee but he didn't he has no tony yet um he has three drama desk awards uh he also worked with drake so that's cool i know so the drake right not my Um, neighbor drake but like the famous drake (laughs) yes uh he is also an associate professor at brooklyn college really yeah so it's just you know these people they have, even little, though... they have like a little jill biden over here who has like the I know. job and then like the actual teacher job right yeah. um the thing that i've noticed about justin townsend's designs just looking at production photos and, and being in the shows too um is, is that he's very focused on colors he, he really likes a scene to have be based on a specific color scheme. Um, and obviously for Moulin Rouge, it's very red, very rouge, very, you know, that love, that dark, less like sensual kind of thing. Um, and then Jagged Little Pill, just kind of comparing the two, knowing that it's from the same lighting design. It, it was interesting because it's kind of like the same concept, but for blue. Jagged Little Pill, it seemed like blue was the theme throughout the show, you know? Um, so he's very, very saturated on colors. We'll light up the whole stage with colors. Uh, Bruno Poet for Tina, what I appreciated about him was that he had a lot, he maintained the integrity of a lot of natural light. There's um, some village scenes right in the beginning that he he lit up really beautifully. And even when there's like these big rock show lights and like it's all hardcore and Tina's just up there, there's still an element of the the actors and the work is lit up and, and the work is being shown. And I, I really did appreciate that about it. Um, I think for my pick, I'm going to have to go with Moulin Rouge because there are so many moments in the show where they use the use of silhouettes and darker schemes. Uh, And for a show like Moulin Rouge, where it's so entrenched on what it emits from you emotionally and like, Mm -hmm. just like that, you're just going on a ride. I think, I think that's really smart. The things that I saw from him. Mm -hmm. Uh, hey, guess what? We agree. <gasps> you agree on one, Moulin Rouge. So our next category is best costume design. I love this category. I love it. Oh my gosh, nothing makes or breaks a, a really good show like some quality costume design. Let me tell you. Here are our nominees for best costume design in a play. 
Ere Aite in Slave Play and A Soldier's Play. Bob Crowley in The Inheritance. Rob Howell for A Christmas Story. And Clint Ramos for The Rose Tattoo. Um, so Didi Aite um, nominated for two shows, probably coincidentally enough, the two primary primarily black casted shows on Broadway, Slave Play and The Soldier's Play, which I think is so awesome support of black, uh, black artists. On Broadway, uh, was also costumed American Son and Children of a Lesser God. For Off-Broadway, she has costumed Secret Life of Bees, Fireflyers, and Maria and Rosetta. Um, she has also costumed for the Lincoln Center, Oregon Shakespeare Festival, Barclay Repertory, and the Cleveland Playhouse. Um, she is also a Yale School of Drama graduate. Rob Crowley in Inheritance is also a scenic designer, along with being a costume designer. You'll notice late in these later categories with the visual stuff, I'm only talking, I'm talking about like three of the same people um, because they're so well known for what they being very multifaceted. Um, so Bob Crowley is also a scenic designer, has done set and costumes for the West End and Broadway productions of Mary Poppins. Um, he designed and directed the Tarzan musical and, and the set and costumes for Love Never Dies, the 2012 Little Mermaid and an American in Paris. Shout out to my boy Gershwin. Um, Rob Howell for Christmas Story has won a Drama Desk Award for set design in The Ghost, The Musical, and Olivier for The Matilda Set. Um, has also many Tony and Drama Desk nominations for Boeing Boeing, Norman Conquest, Groundhog Day, and Ferryman. Then finally, Clint Ramos for The Rose Tattoo. Tells the story of a widower named Serafina who rediscovers wanting for love the joy of life and connecting through a young suitor. Um, Clint Ramos won a Tony for Broadway production of Eclipse. Nominations for Once on this Island, Grand Horizons, and Soft Power. All Tonys, Drama Desk, and Outer Critics Circle stuff. What are you thinking? I'm thinking, I'm looking at all these shows and I know that I, 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 I've seen the production photos, so I kind of have an idea of what the costumes were. To mm -hmm. me, it just seems like Slave Play was so, it, it was such an integral part of the show and the costumes are so complicated and mm -hmm. well thought out that I, I think I have to go with Didi Aite, Slave Play. Oh my gosh. Okay, so that's, okay, so I agree with you but I also want to think that I would also think of Rob Howell for Christmas Story, just because of Christmas that Victoria Christmas thing. <laughs> Christmas Carol, thank you. Uh, for a Christmas Carol, I put Christmas Story on there. Uh, uh, spooky. Entirely uh, different show. <laughs> entirely different show. Who knew that one word would change the entire meaning? I did not. Um, Rob Hall, just because it's great to get that uh, Victorian 
England style of costuming, um, which can look very, very cheesy and cheap, or it can look very, very nice and right. um, refined. So I think I'm going to have to go with Rob Howell for a Christmas story. Wow, Carol. Um, <laughs> dang it, Christmas Carol. <laughs> Christmas There's too many Christmas shows is the problem. True. We need less. The nominees for Best Costume Design of a Musical. Emily Rebholz, Jagged Little Pill. Mark Thompson, Tina, the Tina Turner Musical. And Catherine Zuber, Moulin Rouge. All right, so let's get right into it. Um... Uh costumes let's start with mark thompson tina the tina turner musical uh oh, he iconic Sorry. oh iconic he also did the scenic design which is probably why i got confused he also did the scenic design for tina again there's a lot of people in this industry that do double double hatters and it's just mm-hmm. incredible i have to say just straight out from just seeing the costumes they were fan fantastic like tina's outfits to the t like amazing there's like this like gold sequency dress that she's like shaking and it's just amazing i love it does it match for um share the musical kind of costuming happening oh yeah well it's tina turner so it's just all fabulous all the way around and then you get you know just the the period clothing and just like that Oh, I just love it. So Emily Rebholz has also done The Last Five Years, Dear Evan Hansen, and Don Giovanni. She does a lot of operas. Um, She went to Northwestern and got her BA in English. And she also went to Yale Drama for an MFA in costuming. Uh, And going on her website, I found some information from her. Uh, She said that some of her biggest inspirations for costuming are the New York City subway, upstate new york and tourists at museums which i found oh. very fascinating just some people watching and and what that I can tell that. you about people it's very very interesting mm-hmm. all right and then last but not least we have katherine zuber well anyway katherine zuber has uh done costuming for my fair lady the king and i south pacific etc she has a lot of credits on broadway um and for Moulin Rouge, I mean, these costumes were fantastic. I, I shouldn't say were, are. It will be back. Broadway will be back, everyone. It will be back. Build back better. Um, so I think I think my nomination choice has to go to Catherine Zuber for Moulin Rouge. I mean, you can't, those costumes are just it, like elaborate and decadent and also the ones that are like to the skivvies like i mean it's just the whole nine Mm. yards it's all so detailed and and specific and i really appreciate that you know i stand a pop icon but i think i'll go with moulin rouge as well yeah Mm, moulin rouge is uh seem to be uh an early favorite uh, for the academy over here Mm. i know all right, so let's continue on. We're going to move on to Best Scenic Design. Nominees for Best Scenic Design in a Play. Bob Crowley for The Inheritance. Sautra Glimor for Betrayal. 
Rob Howell for A Christmas Carol, Derek McLean for A Soldier's Play, and Clint Ramos for Slave Play. All right, so here we see popping up repeated individual people nominees. So Bob Crowley again for The Inheritance. Sacha Glamour for Betrayal. So Betrayal tells a story of a married couple named Emma and Robert and having an extramarital affair involving Robert's friend, Jerry, who is married to a woman named Judith. This show has many twists, turns, and reveals. Um, Sotra is a British set designer um, who won the Evening Standard Award for Best Set Designs of Inadmissible Evidence in the National Theatre Production of Antigone. Um, has also been nominated for Olivier Award. Uh, notable works also include a revival of Urinetown the Musical for London St. James Theatre. Then we have Rob Halligan for Christmas Carol. Now we have Derek McLean for A Soldier's Play. Um, Derek McLean um, had an Emmy, Drama Desk, Art Directors Guild, Tony, Garland Award nominations and wins for productions like the Academy Awards, Hairspray Live, The Wiz, The Follies, Anything Goes, and A Lie of the Mind, to name a few. And then again, Clint Ramos for Slave Play. You know, I'm going to have to go with See, Derek McLean has very diverse credits. He has very diverse credits. Um, award for Academy Awards, like lighting or designing the set for the Academy Awards, Hairspray, Wiz, and those live shows, those sets have to be so dynamic, and have to be so flexible, especially since you're dealing with cameras and stuff. Um, so I think Derek McLean's my early favorite for that one. I would think that the scenic design of a play for A Christmas Carol would have to be very diverse and dynamic as well. I'm going to mm -hmm. save my Derek McLean for something else, maybe. Ooh. I'm going to save it for another day. So I think I'm going to go with Rob Howell, A Christmas Carol. There we go. Next, we have Best Scenic Design in a Musical. And the nominees are Ricardo Hernandez and Lucy McKinnon. Mac McKinnon. Whoa, Adele Dazeem. <laughs> Wickedly talented. We did an Adele Dazeem. We should have a tally going of all of our Adele Dazeems. I know that I have messed up so many pronunciations. So <laughs> I know. Anyone else listening? I'm sorry. So... Lucy McKinnon for Jagged Little Pill, uh, Derek McLean, Moulin Rouge, and Mark Thompson and Jeff Sugg, Tina, the Tina Turner musical. Um, I'm just going to go through and talk about the shows themselves for this one. Um, so Jagged Little Pill, Best Scenic Design. It, it, was, it was interesting. They had this whole theme of home and family the whole time and so there was this constant kind of like arch like just a you know and they had um great furniture great whatever but it was all based on the house and I liked how they did that throughout the whole show and kept that a theme uh for Moulin Rouge I mean 
<laughs> I like you have the giant elephant. You have the this tower. You have the set coming out of the stage, out of the proscenium, covering the theater. They ripped up the floors of this theater and put in new carpets. They covered the the beige walls with set so that it didn't take away from the feeling of being immersed into this club, the Club Moulin Rouge. Um, so, I mean, just extraordinary work, a very complicated set design that was very, like, just immaculate. Um, if you haven't looked at pictures, I would highly recommend it. And Tina, the Tina Turner musical. I loved how they did, um, like, the rock stage concert of this show and they had a lot of different locations which i think they did very nicely um obviously the most iconic moment of the show is that last concert uh and there's this huge staircase where all the musicians are up on the stage and she comes out from the top and starts you know um what is that word called descending yeah or she descends from the stairs and it's amazing but i think for me it's easy it's got to be moulin rouge i mean it's daniel kluger is gonna clean up i agree here are nominees for best original score music and or lyrics for the theater christopher nightingale for a christmas carol paul <laughs> <laughs> That's how they talk. <laughs> Paul Englishby for The Inheritance. Fitz Patton and Jason Michael Webb for The Rose Tattoo. Lindsay Jones for Slave Play. And Daniel Kluger for The Sound Inside. All right, so Another here's another hard one to do when we haven't seen the show and there's no way to really watch it. All we have to go on, really, I think with, uh, and I think we should be known that I was going to visit you this summer and I was going to make you take take me to these shows. Yeah. But then the world exploded. Mm -hmm. um, so, if we're in the darkest timeline right now, and by some weird coincidence, us from another timeline is listening to this mm -hmm. how it went. Mm -hmm. and, and it also um you know doing this show because it's so hard and you know the pandemic and mm -hmm. it, it kind of goes to show you that this is another episode but but the the ability to have theater be accessible to all people who aren't in new york and mm -hmm. I mean, think about how much more, maybe maybe more invested people would be in the Tony Awards and just theater in general if it was widely mm -hmm. accessible like movies or film. Um, so we can talk about that in another episode. But just like, True. it's it's you know, we're doing the best we can, but this is hard. This is really hard. Yeah. Now, for Christopher Nightingale for A Christmas Carol. So Christopher Nightingale is a musical supervisor, orchestrator, and created additional music for Matilda that got him a Tony nomination for Best Orchestrations and a Grammy nomination for being a co-producer on the Matilda album. Um, he has worked for Ghost of Musical, Bombay Dreams, and the Pet Shop Boys Closer to Heaven. Next, Paul Englishby for The Inheritance. Um, he is a composer, 
and musician. Um, he has an Emmy for page eight, scored Luther, um, The Halloween Crown with David Tennant, Death of a Salesman, Twelfth Night, and A Midsummer Night's Dream. Is also a well-known conductor of TV, film, and the stage. Um, Fitz Patton, uh, Jason Michael Webb for the Rose Tattoo. So uh, Mr. Patton has numerous Broadway and off-Broadway credit credits, including Bernhardt Hamlet, Three Tall Women, Meteor Shower, Blackbird, and Choir Boy. Nominations for Tony and Drama Desk go back to the years the years 2020, 2019, 2018, 2016, 2011, and 2010. Uh, Mr. Webb is a musical director, conductor, and composer. He is a Drama Desk and Tony Award winner. Credit, credits include Much Ado About Nothing, The Color Purple, and The Choir Boy. Off the stage, Mr. Webb is a musical director of Brooklyn Tabernacle, which has won six Grammys. Arranged the Battle Hymn of the Republic for Obama's 2013 inauguration, um, associate production music supervisor for The Greatest Showman, and has been a pianist for Shirley Bassey, Michael Bolton, and Shaka Khan. He has also conducted an orchestra for the pianist Long Long. Lindsay Jones for Slave Play and Daniel Kluger for the 70s. <laughs> um, I'm gonna have to go with Jason Michael Webb. Obviously, uh, Fitz, Pat, Fitz Pattinson, uh, Michael Webb will be have that award together. But just with the innumerable credits of Mr. Webb, um, I have to throw my ring in that one. Sure. Uh, I honestly, looking at this list, I was like, uh, this has to be a wild card for me because I have not seen any of these. I have not heard any of these. Mm -hmm. um, and I was going to go with the rose tattoo because I was like, you know what? The rose tattoo, I'm not seeing a lot of it on this list. I'm going to give it a Tony in this one. Wow. That's my justification. <laughs> wow, we're doing, we're gambling on this. We're, oh my we're getting a little, little risky. Place your bets now, kids. Place your bets. I'm going to go ahead and do the best orchestrations category next. Oh, yes. The nominees for best orchestrations. I wonder what's going to be. Tom Kitt, Jagged Little Pill. <gasps> Katie Kresick, Charlie Rosen, Matt Stein, and Justin Levine, Moulin Rouge. Ethan Pop, Tina, the Tina Turner musical. I think best orchestration this one's kind of i mean it's kind of unfair i think because mm -hmm. both jagged little pill and tina are based already on music of other of artists of well-known yeah. artists right and there is a very a heavy job of creating that for the stage and and mm -hmm. it's very you know i'm not i'm not taking that down at all but i think for the sheer amount of songs that had to be combined and the sheer amount of teamwork that needed to be done i have to give it to the the four the magic four for moulin rouge mm -hmm. yeah i mean uh, none of these shows um original music there really isn't original music for these ones it's all right and that's that's what makes it hard I think for actually orchestration, I think it's like the most blatant when you can listen and be like, oh, that's not a cheesy 
sort of thing. Because you also have to think of, okay, what is the size of the pit orchestra that you're working with? Are you just doing a combo plus a piano? Um, are you doing a mid-size with 12 musicians? Are you going more full-size with 20? And I think it's all just about how does the score, um, how do you translate the composer score into something that heightens the show, right. not takes it away? I think about uh, solid orchestrations. I, I think of Alex Lacrimore when he won for Hamilton. Um, I that's when I kind of realized the breadth and width of what an orchestration category is. And I, and when I went to listen to it the following day after those Tony Awards, I was like, I only listened to like a karaoke track mm -hmm. where there was no singing. And I was just listening to the orchestrations like, oh my gosh, it adds so much that a piano really can't. So I think orchestration are one of those awards that kind of gets brushed under the mat of like right. creative awards, right. but I would have to agree with Moulin Rouge. Like that is an insane task. That's yeah. absolutely. And I have some uh, little facts about the other nominees. Ethan Pop for Tina uh, worked with Rami Malek for his role in Bohemian Rhapsody. He was really? Yeah, he was really. Yeah, uh, and he's also worked on The Greatest Showman, Motown, Rock of Ages. I mean, he's got good stuff himself and tom kitt um <clears throat> he uh is really focused on arrangements he has two tonys um and he also worked for next uh, both of which are for next to normal um and he also worked on the orchestration and the original score of jagged little pill because uh, they did they did add in some songs so i don't know i think i have to give it to moulin rouge but mm -hmm. i'm getting pulled a little bit by jagged little pill just because of the the songs for the stage production but i think i'm gonna reserve that too mm -hmm. oh my gosh next we're gonna have best choreography uh cd larby Cherkui for jagged little pill Ooh. sonia taille moulin rouge and Anthony Van Last for Tina, the Tina Turner musical. All right, so let's start with uh, Tina. Anthony Van Last does not have a Tony yet. Never say never. Never uh, say never. But has worked on shows like Sister Act, Sideshow, and uh, Joseph. He's been around for a long time. He's mm -hmm. done a lot of shows. Um, Sonia Taille for Moulin Rouge. Uh, did the choreography for Rent Live and has also mm. worked with a lot of um, artists, musical artists like Miley Cyrus, Florence and the Machine. Sonia Taye is a cool person. So cool. Like there were, there is this video that came out um, of them doing rehearsals in Open Jar Studios, by the way, very familiar. Uh, but, they, but they did this, I don't know if it was Playbill or Broadway World or something, but uh, they were going through the Moulin Rouge choreography and just like, the Sonia has so much energy just radiating off of her, just very down to earth. And like her choreography is so athletic and so, um, hard felt like like it's it's very strong it's very very strong uh but i think my 
I think my pick has to go to Jagged Little Pill because mm-hmm. of CD's uh, choreography for the the overdose number. So it deals with drug overdose. Mary Jane Healy has a drug addiction and she ends up overdosing. And the way that they portrayed that, it was this, all it was was a single couch. And mm-hmm. as she was experiencing that, and singing Uninvited by Alanis Morissette. Mm -hmm. There was a dancer who was dressed exactly like her, who did all of this choreography, like just slinking up and down the couch, just having like the really outside of the body experience. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm also going to pick uh, CD for a number um, that they do a whole scene and then a song starts. And they do that entire scene that they just did backwards throughout the whole song. All the little actions, all the placing the, the food in the grocery bag and all the like the smile and the hiding the, the drugs under her sleeve. And it was just such a cool moment. I have, I have to give it to CD for Jagged Little Pill. Oh my gosh. And this is where one of those, I, you know, I am not a, I have two left feet. Uh, so I'm never, I can never critique choreography, but I can always like praise it in honor. And that's like one of the, one of the things, I, I can appreciate choreography so very, very much. Um, and it, it, I, I just, I think it's really the lifeblood of a lot of these shows because it also, the pacing that it adds to a show like think of any of these really of these shows that aren't really dance heavy but they have significant dance numbers and they take those out and you can kind of just feel how the show drags on so i love intensity um i also love how it connects um when a choreographer connects it to like the actual emotions of the character rather than all right part of plie all, all over the place mm-hmm. so i'm also gonna have to go jagged little pill on this one yeah absolutely the next category is best book of a musical and the nominees are jagged little pill diablo cody moulin rouge john logan and tina the tina turner musical katori hall frank katalar and keys prince um Having seen Tina and Jagged Little Pill, I have to say I loved Tina. I loved how they um, did, you know, they gave you an inside look. And and Tina Turner herself, I think, had some oversee on the show. So that was amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, It felt a little rushed though i will say mm-hmm. and and i get that i get it it's a, it's a huge life that you have to condense into a two-hour show yeah. um but it was there were some awkward moments where it was like yeah it felt a little rushed in some places moulin rouge i didn't see but you know it's the adapt the adaptation to stage um but I, we, we all know the story of Moulin Rouge, you know what I mean? So I think I have to go with Jagged Little Pill. Uh, I think it was beautifully done. I liked how they did a kind of a, like a Mamma Mia situation where they had all of Alanis Morissette's songs, but the show wasn't about Alanis Morissette. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought 
even though they tackled a lot of topics, I think they did it uh, very smart uh, and in a, in a very smart way. And I think that it, this, that was kind of a show that, that everyone needs to hear no matter where you are in life and you can relate to any of that. Um, it's just all in all a beautiful story being told. So I have to go with Jagged Little Pill, Diablo Cody. Yeah, as someone who's original lover of the movie Moulin Rouge, um, that that's also my gut reaction. But doing reading on Jagged Little Pill and that one to me is sounding the most um, say forward um, thinking, probably the most relevant mm-hmm. um, of the of the three. I will have to go with Jagged Little Pill as well. Amazing. So now we're at our final category of part one of our quarantonies and this the this is the showstopper of this episode for tonight and that is best direction of a play and musical take it away gibby best direction of a play david cromer for the sound inside Stephen dalje for the inheritance kenny leone for a Soldier's Play, Jamie Lloyd for Betrayal, and Robert O'Hara for Slave Play. Let me tell you, let me tell you that my jaw drops to the floor when I kind of read these directing credits. It kind of blows my mind a little bit. Um, David Cromer for The Sound Inside. One, Lucille Lordle Award and Obi Award for Our Town, nominated for Drama Desk and Outer Critics for The Adding Machine. Um, also has Best Direction of a Musical for The Band Visit. Next is Stephen Delvey for The Inheritance. Three Olivier Awards and two Tonys. Three Academy Award noms for Billy Elliot, The Hours, and The Reader. Producer and director for The Crown, which is my favorite show on Netflix, fun (laughs) fact, and has two Emmy nominations and a win for Outstanding Director for Drama Series and and Outstanding Drama Series. One of the few but mighty directors to get nominations in theater, TV, and film. Then you have Kenny Leon for A Soldier's Play, Tony for Best Director, of a play for Raisin in the Sun, um, directed the TV remake of Steel Magnolias. He directed NBC's The Wiz Live and partnered again in Hairspray Live and directed the Netflix film American Sun. Jamie Lloyd for Betrayal. Uh, He has his own company called James Lloyd Company, which has been home to many famous actors, including James McAvoy, Martin Freeman, John Sim, Uzo Aduba, Zay Ashton, and Kit Harrington. You know nothing, John Snow. Uh, in 2020, he was named the ninth most influential person in British theater. Totally. Uh, he is, isn't that crazy? Ah! Uh, he is also known for producing plays to a diverse audience wants to draw new theater goers, and he is a proponent of affordable theater. Robert O'Hara for Slave Play, also known for being a playwright as well, wrote works including Insurrection, 
Holding History, which follows the story of a young gay African-American who travels back in time, Brave Blood, Negla 14, An American Mall, Antebellum, The Etiquette of Vigilance, Booty Candy, and Barbecue. Um, it was awarded with the Lambda Literacy Award, the P.T. Barnum Award, the Helen Hayes Award, the NAACP Award, Obie Award, and Oppenheimer Award. For Eclipsed, he won Best Director. So all of these people are legit. Mm -hmm. They're like, there are no like people sleeping on this one. Mm -hmm. It's insane. I'm especially impressed with uh, Stephen Daldry. And I'm so biased because The Crown is my favorite Netflix show of all time. I love it so much. Um, for Kenny Leon and Soldier's Play, him doing... Um, the Wiz Live and Hairspray Live, um, and then Best Director for Raising the Sun, but then also James Lloyd for his um, for his company and how he's brought so many famous um, people in, but also is a proponent of three very important aspects of modern theater, which is inclusivity, accessibility, um, and diversity. Mm -hmm. I think that's huge and that it's so hard for me to choose one, but because of how forward thinking he is, I'm going to have to go with Jamie Lloyd. I'm sorry, Stephen Daldry. I love you. I haven't watched season four yet because I haven't had time, but I'm about <laughs> to after this one to watch the first episode when I get home. I promise, Stephen, I promise. I think I'm going to go with Slave Play, Robert O'Hara. Oh, okay. Am I giving uh, Slave Play too many? No. You can never no, give Slave Play. deserve it. I, I don't feel like, sorry about it. That's like giving Daniel Kluger too many. You can't give Okay, okay, okay. So Robert O'Hara, <laughs> final answer. <laughs> final answer. I love that. All right, everyone. So this, um, no, it doesn't. Sorry, there's one more. Callie, Best Director of a Musical. I'm so sorry. And the nominees for Best Direction of a Musical. Philida Lloyd, Tina, the Tina Turner Musical. Yay. Diane Paulus, Jagged Little Pill. Yay. Alex Timbers, Moulin Rouge. Yay. So Philida Lloyd is from the UK. She also directed Mamma Mia, The Iron Lady, and herself, movies. Oh, I love The Iron Lady. Meryl Streep yeah. was an absolute unit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Alex Timbers also directed Beetlejuice. So it's quite interesting. Um, and Alex Timbers is pretty young. I think he's like 40. Um, but so Alex Timbers has, has directed two shows now that have been movies for the stage. Um, and he says that he loves to honor the films, but not be beholden to them. Diane Paulus has directed many shows on Broadway, including Waitress, Finding Neverland, Pippin, Porgy and Bess, also is the artistic director at ART, American Repertory Theater at Harvard. I think I have to give it to Diane Paulus. Um, I, there's a TED talk of her um, and she just has such a strong energy. I'm feeling good vibes from, from Diane and just her being so, uh, so, so, involved in in the broadway shows of recent years i think i think she's she's got a good thing going on with the show 
It's going to make me sound very, very biased, but I have to give it to Moulin Rouge. And that's fair. And I understand that. I was kind of, I was, I was going back and forth between them. So, all right. Those are our picks for part one of the Quarantonis. The Quarantonis. Stay tuned next week to this exact same time where we finish off our Quarantonis uh, series with our acting awards. And then finally, the best musical and play awards slash revival stay tuned Callie where can they find us you can find us anywhere at broken art podcast we have a youtube channel if you want to see our nice quarantoni get up we got a little dressed up we got a little fancy um and so you can check us out on youtube or if you're just a listener you can go on spotify anchor apple Podcasts, anywhere you find your podcasts we also have instagram facebook and twitter so if you ever want to keep up with us and tell us where what you're doing and hang out with us uh you can also submit your questions using the hashtag bapa that's hashtag b-a-p-o-d and stay tuned check in next week and we will give you part two of our quarantonies And as always, my friends, take your broken heart, make it into art. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.